what to do when you've been wrong. Next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. You've done wrong. You've been wrong. First thing that you need to do is admit it. From there, what happens next? I'm glad you asked. We have a few answers for you over the next three days here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Welcome to our program. We're continuing our series on the life of David. Just found David, and he's been guilty of a gross sin with Bathsheba and her husband, who he had murdered. And he's just been proven wrong. How does he respond? It's found in Psalm 51. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now to share it with us. We have a psalm written that David writes once Nathan confronted him about murder and adultery. And he writes a psalm about his struggle to get back to God. And today I want to speak to you about what to do when you're wrong. What to do when you're wrong. And uh, let's look at Psalms 51 and read that first. I find out, I've been wanting just to read the passages. The comments on the passage are never greater than the passage. Some churches don't use Bibles anymore. That's anathema to me. It's anathema. Did you know they used to chain a Bible in a church because no one can own one? If you own a Bible and you're not using it, uh, it's like owning eyes and not using them. Read your Bible. Much blood has been shed to give you a Bible in your language. Don't trust the preacher. Trust the word. As preachers are under the word, we're not over it. You hear me? And a bunch of saints are always elevating preachers. Do not elevate preachers. Elevate this word. Now, when I use this word, you're messing with God, not me, right? I don't write the mail. I deliver it. There's a big difference. Who wrote the letter? That's the one you got to take it up with. But don't stone the mailman because you got a bill you didn't want. Oh, I'm just meddling. Let's just read here. Look at the inscription. For the director of music, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Not every psalm has an inscription, but you know exactly that this psalm is related to that period in his life. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Hyssop was a plant and they would apply it to lepers or sprinkle water or blood. So just a, a vehicle of putting 
getting him clean and sprinkling him. He's really saying, descend me, sanitize me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. This word create is bara, the very word used in Genesis to create the universe. Do a work, do a brand new work. Create something in me that has not been in existence for a while. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Then he takes it to the nation. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices. Then there will be whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. It was a bright, sunny Sunday morning in the 1800s when uh, Robert Robinson was in a down mood trying to catch a carriage ride on a Sunday afternoon in busy London. And all of a sudden he heard the carriage coming and he began to motion and the carriage passed him by. But all of a sudden, uh, he flagged down a coachman, but inside was a beautiful young lady all dressed up to go to church. And he was going to go ahead and let that go. And she said, no, sir, no, sir, please get in. Please, please go to church. You're going to church, aren't you? He wasn't, but because she caught him off guard, he said, yes. Oh, yes, I am. And so he got into the carriage and they talked a little bit. And uh, she... Uh, ask his name and he said his name was uh, Robert Robinson and she said my that's strange she said I have a book of poems right here and I found a poem in it by the name written by a man by the name of Robert Robinson you could be him could you yes I could be I've written stuff in the past she said oh I'm amazed and so uh, she pulls out the book and uh, he begins to look through some of the poetry he wrote and eventually his eyes fell on the words he wrote years before, but he had wandered away from God, but his eyes fell on these words that he had written. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. His eyes slipped to the bottom of the page where he read, prone to wonder, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. 
Seal it for thy courts above. He could barely read because his eyes filled with tears and he began to recall how far he had wandered from God, how far away he had gotten. And he began to share with the girl how he had wandered away from the God he wrote about. The woman suddenly understood. She said, you also wrote, here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Offer God your heart afresh, Mr. Robinson, and God will seal your heart in his courts of love. And he did there in the carriage. He repented. He was restored. He spent the rest of his life living for God, all out of a happen chance meeting of a young lassie on her way to church, reading a poem he wrote. As you read Psalms 51, you're shocked at how far away even a child of God can get. We come to the life of a man that uh, has played God and has murdered, has played God and has stolen another man's wife, has played God and uh, has been announced his baby's going to die. His life is in shambles and in a wreck. But you begin to hear him, he cries out, and he begins to ask God to restore him. I want to give you some theological thoughts just before we get started. Several things. Uh, number one, when do you know when you're wrong before God? When are you wrong? Some people are never wrong, if you heard them. They win all arguments. They're always right. But I ask you this question. Are you ever convinced you're wrong? And who decides if you're wrong? Biblically, Romans 3 says God gave his law, his divine expectations of the race, so that every mouth might be zipped up and proven guilty. You broke my law. David knows he has broken the Ten Commandments. He has murdered. He has committed adultery. He has played God. He has put women, lust, and desire above the God, Yahweh. But it's an interesting question in a culture that does not feel shocked about anything when nine-year-olds can try to poison someone's sandwich, when a boy can take, at the age of 11, blow another kid's brains out, and when you see the court scene, you're looking for remorse, and all you see is a stoical stare that says, that wasn't too bad. Because it's a culture that has been stripped of the outrage, the definition, the description of what is sin. And when you look in the Bible, it's leprosy. It's a lion ready to crouch on you. It's wickedness. It's treachery. And we'll look at some words. But you need word pictures to get the idea of what it is. So when are you wrong? You're wrong when God says you're wrong. And it usually measures you by his divine word. Have you done what he said? Two, you need to know this. Hear me well. God does not have to forgive you. There is no place in the Word of God that God has to forgive you. Why do you think people go to hell? God refuses to forgive them. Sure, they refuse to believe, but He also refuses to forgive. When you don't come to Him on His terms, He owes you no free. There's no inner compulsion on God. Oh, I just got to forgive them to be God. Or I just got to forgive them to feel good about myself. Forgiveness is a divine gift, unmerited. You never merit divine forgiveness. If someone had to forgive you, 
the forgiveness wouldn't mean much when you got it. Forgive me. You've got to forgive me. No, I don't. I don't have to forgive you. If I forgive you, I will volitionally have made a choice. But we get to playing around with this forgiveness, sin stuff. Well, I am so worthy. You better if you know what's good for you. Don't do that with God. God does not have to forgive you. He can harden you. Matter of fact, he said in 2 Thessalonians 1, because men and women did not receive a love for the truth, he enabled them to believe a lie so that he could damn them. It's not pleasing to the ear, but that's the passage, 2 Thessalonians 1. Thirdly, David creates a great dilemma for God. How in the world is God going to maintain his character and let a murderer get off free? How can God not kill this man? How can an adulterer and a murderer and a liar, he did all of it in the sin, how can you remain God, remain holy, and say, well, it's forgiven, go on. No, no, the law said thou shalt not murder, but what are you going to do if I do? We're going to kill you according to the law of Moses. Well, if I want to commit adultery, I will. You can commit it, but Israel stoned the adulterer. Well, I want to be an idol worshiper. I'm going to be God for Kill the idol worshiper. You can do your sin, but you must bear the consequences. Now, there's a dilemma. How can God forgive David and retain his own just character? How is it possible? What a dilemma he has created, and that's why the onlookers are blaspheming God. Says, look at there. God says he'll judge you, but now David's getting off scot-free. How is it possible? Well, let's start the journey. I'm not going to answer those right now. What should we do when we're wrong? The first thing I would say uh, is share it, don't stuff it. Is that profound? Now, the reason it's profound is David stuffed it for 12 months. And he nearly uh, was ready to be committed. Let me show you what was going on inside of him. For the 12 months that he was in the cover-up, he writes some psalms about what happens to you when you cover it up and you won't fess up. Watch what he does. Psalms 32. You're there. I can hear the paper. Go. Now let's just see what happens to a man in a cover-up about sin. I mean, David's got Joab doing what he said. We've got, we've moved in Bathsheba. Everything is hunky-dory. The palace is doing great. But she's already mourned her husband. Let's go on. I got an additional woman. The cover-up is a complete success. But for 12 months, he shuts down towards God because Nathan tracks him down for God. And he begins to tell you what was going on in him. Listen, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And Paul brings it over to Romans 4, 6. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I felt like I was out in a blazing hot day. I had no strength. I felt depressed. And when I get depressed, I don't have any strength. I want to sleep. 
David said, I'm a depressed man because God's hand is heavy on me. I'm losing physical energy. I feel like my bone structure, the frame of my body is just going wacko. There's something in my bones. We call it arthritis. He said, no, it's sin. My bones are, the frame of my being is being shaken by the silence about my sin. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. Then I acknowledge it and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Notice chapter 38, Psalms 38. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my mother. Oh, because of my environment. Because my prescription ran out. Because my therapist can't get me well. Why are you in this condition? Because of my sin. You'd fire a doctor if you went to him and said, I feel miserable. And he said, you know why? You're in sin. You don't need a placebo. You don't need Valium. You don't need a, a toned down margarita. You need to get out of sin. Sin's fun. It offers pleasure at the beginning this is the testimony of the psalmist. When I was silent about my sin, psychosomatically, I started falling apart. My, it's like my body's falling apart. I feel this heavy hand on me. We call it depression. It was God just saying, boy, you are puffed up. I will put my hand on you. Do you feel it, David? Do you feel it? I am pressed down. Who's doing this? Not Joab. Not Nathan. The hand of God is on this man in his cover-up. He's miserable. My wounds fester. Well, look at four. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Have you ever been in the cover-up and you felt like every bone in you was yelling you're guilty? Why don't you get right? Nobody even knows. There's another passage in the New Testament. I'll just quote it to you. For godly sorrow, sorrow that God produces, produces repentance not to be regretted of that leads to deliverance. But earthly sorrow only leads to regret, no deliverance. Godly sorrow, what is that? The word for sorrow is the same word that makes the spirit grieve when the child of God sins and does not deal with it, but they stuff it, and they start covering it up, suppressing it, God begins to work godly sorrow in you. Oh, moodiness, uh, anger, irritability, uh, just pretty soon, you say, something's wrong, something's wrong. I, I, yeah, something's wrong. Well, what's going on? 
God is taking away joy, peace. He's not moving out at this stage you want him to. But he says, I'm going to stay here and make you miserable. Because your sin is against a jilted God, a loving God, a God that wanted a wife in Israel and Christ who wants a bride church. And you're sleeping with sin and you don't want me to be bothered by it. I'm in covenant love with you. And it's as bad as adultery with God. I keep my vows with you. You have crushed my heart and I'm going to crush yours to feel the pain I'm feeling. God simply transfers his pain about your sin to you and you start feeling overwhelmed. Your body, you can't pull it off. We just cave in. Now, if you're unsaved, you just have earthly sorrow. And you can go to Antler's Bar and order some Jack Daniels or a toned down something and shed tears that your woman left you or that you're having an earthly sorrow. It's the best you might be able to do. Maybe you need some drugs. Maybe you need another woman. You see, the unsaved have got to do something for relief too. The saved can only find it one place. There's no drink, no woman, no hobby. You may run and run and suppress and suppress, but nothing, not nothing, can heal you. Jeremiah said the false prophets say to you, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They tell you to take remedies that don't work to heal the sins of the daughter of my people. He said, there's only a cure in your living God. That's what we're saying. David stuffed when he should not have. Do not go silent. When you're guilty, don't try to hide it. We learned it from Adam and Eve. As soon as they sinned, who taught them to hide? Who taught them to start sowing fig leaves? I mean, is it not a pitiful scene that in the cool of the day, God shows up and you see this scared couple running like rabbits, hiding in bushes with these crazy kind of cloth. What did you make out of a fig leaf? And standing before God of whom we are all naked, there with a little bit of covering to cover their nakedness. Where art thou, Adam? I'm running like a scared animal. I'm ashamed. I'm guilty. Sin didn't even give me pleasure for a day by the time guilt showed up. And so the race is in hiding. The race is on the run. The race is trying to cover up their shame with anything they can get their hands on. So when you're wrong, share it with God. Don't stuff it. You see, secret sin here below is open scandal in heaven. You can't hide it from God anyway, can you? That's why you got to be careful who you pick for your God. Get one that can't see so much. But if you get this one, he sees everything. Two, uh, when you're wrong, appeal to God's gracious character, not to your merit. Studying God's Word that we might grow in grace, that we might be encouraged in our walk and relationship with Him. You're listening to Truth For Today and Pastor Phil Howard. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us this morning. It's our prayer that our time together has done just that, encouraged you in your relationship with Christ, bolstered you up for the day. 
If you would like to review today's broadcast, copies are available when you contact us. We also have the series today's message was taken from, other resource materials available as well, the recent books authored by our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. They can all be found at our website, valleybible.org. A lot of resource materials available there, other CDs and series as taught by Pastor Phil Howard recently here at Valley Bible Church. Again, they're all found at our store online, valleybible.org. If you wish to speak with someone directly, call during business hours, Monday through Friday, 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or write to us. 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you'd like to know where we meet for worship, service times, directions, location, it can all be found at our website, valleybible.org, and we would love to see you. Please consider this a formal invitation to join us for worship if you're not involved in a church near you. Again, directions can be found at valleybible.org or by calling 855-833-9864. And again, we mention it from time to time, it bears repeating, as TFT sustainers, financial partners with the radio broadcast, you ensure the continuation of this broadcast here on KFAX. Would you prayerfully consider how you might partner with us financially and then call us? Let us know that you're interested in becoming a TFT sustainer. We'll pass along our quarterly newsletter to you, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil. The weekly video devotional will be available as well. Again, valleybible.org for more information or call 855-833-9864. No gift is too large or too small. We'd love to hear from you. Call us today and then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 